This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Software Engineering Institute, operated by Carnegie Mellon University as a federally funded research and development center, has a new name at its CERT division. The division's new director is Greg Tuhill, a retired Air Force Brigadier General and former Federal Chief Information Security Officer. He joins me now. Greg, good to have you back. Hey, thanks, Tom. I appreciate being here with you. First of all, just remind us what happens at the CERT division at the SEI, which I think people recognize as one of the premier software engineering locuses in the country. Well, Tom, I'd have to say that the Software Engineering Institute isn't one of the premier software engineering uh, locuses. It's the center of the universe, I think, uh, for software engineering excellence. Software Engineering Institute has been around uh, since around 1984, and in the aftermath of the Morris Worm uh, catastrophe in the late 80s, the Department of Defense chartered the CERT division to serve as a focal point for best practices in computer emergency response, and CERT goes now by the trademarked uh, acronym CERT but originally was the computer emergency response team. And it uh, now has been a recognized world leader in cybersecurity and one that I've worked with throughout my military career, my government career, and my time in industry. So I'm delighted to join this team as we partner as part of that public-private partnership, doing federally funded research development, working with industry, And ultimately, our mission is to reduce the risks to national security and national prosperity by strengthening the cyber ecosystem. And I'm very honored to work with these world-class, big-brain experts in cybersecurity. And this whole idea of emergency response or just response, whatever the case might be, seems to be more imperative than ever, given the scope and sophistication of some of the big attacks that have happened literally in the last six months. So is that what the CERT division is looking at and trying to develop contemporary ways for agencies and organizations to respond? Well, you know, that's an excellent question. And as we take a look at just the name itself, you know, getting away from the acronym to, you know, computer emergency response, I think is a strategic move several years ago. Because we don't want to necessarily be in a reactionary mode. We want to be lead-turning issues and solving them before they become problems. And as a research organization, we are working with our partners in government, in the military, and in industry to better secure that cyber ecosystem. And at the SCI, the Software Engineering Institute, we have a team that is working to promote secure coding practices and tighter and better code that is secure by design. In the CERT division, we are working with folks who are creating code. We're analyzing a whole host of different things, malware, vulnerability. We identify best practices. Uh, We help organizations with risk and resilience in their business process. And our researchers are actually on the forefront of providing capabilities such as what we call Octave, a operationally critical threat assessment and vulnerability evaluation, where folks can come in and assess their own risk and resilience by using the frameworks and models uh, that we are doing through our research. And we want to lead turn the cyber ecosystem and harden it before the bad guys can exploit it. Uh And that's going to be a constant challenge for us. And now now the supply chain is increasingly at risk, and we're at the forefront of trying to secure that supply chain. 
Let me ask you this question. What about hackers and that type of penetration testing as opposed to analysis of code as it's developed? And it's true people are analyzing code in more frequent blocks in the DevSecOps type of model. But do you think that external white hat type of penetration testing has a role in all of this? I do. And I think, you know, from my time in uh, federal government, as well as industry, I've seen uh, a lot of efficacy uh, working with the researchers uh, and casting the net. You know, the bug bounty program that we put in during my time in .gov service really was paying off extremely well, not only in .gov, but also in .mil. And we've seen that in the industry as well. So, you know, as we take a look at cybersecurity writ large, it's all about risk management, and it really is a team sport. And uh, within the CERT, uh, we serve as kind of a, a center of gravity for information sharing, research, and working across the aisle, as it were, between the industry, within government, within military, and uh, with academia as we try to help build that cyber ecosystem to be stronger and more resilient. We're speaking with Greg Tuhill. He's the new director of the CERT division of the Software Engineering Institute at Carnegie Mellon University. And you were a federal chief information security officer among many other federal roles. Now there is a new one appointed. There's a whole new panoply of people. The division of DHS that you were part of has been reorganized into CISA. A lot has changed. What do you think this group of leadership now freshly in place needs to do next to keep the cybersecurity mission kind of furthering itself? Well, thanks, Tom. You know, I've been really delighted with many of these appointments. You know, Chris DeRussia, who's the new federal chief information security officer, used to work with me at uh, DHS and was a member of my staff when I was the federal uh, chief information security officer. And Chris knows the uh, the .gov space extremely well and his uh, experience in industry with Ford as well as at the states serving as chief security officer at Michigan will serve him well. From a strategy standpoint, I'm really uh, encouraged that in .gov as well as .mil, the strategy is now pivoting, as uh, I've been calling for, towards a zero-trust approach from a strategic initiative. And Eric Goldstein, for example, who is now at CISA as the Executive Assistant Director for Cybersecurity, you know, he was at DHS with me and used to uh, work on my team when I was there. Eric brings some great experience, uh, not only from his DHS time, but also from industry working with Morgan Stanley. And I see not only that, but, you know, from Chris Inglis as the National Cyber Director and Newberger at the National Security Council staff all the way down. Now we're seeing a whole lot of alignment that's uh, going extremely well. And I think we're going to be making some very strategic inroads. But the big challenge remains uh, execution. And as I left federal service, you may recall, Tom, I said that, I thought we had some really great policies, but we didn't need really more policies. We need better execution, and I think that's going to be the biggest challenge for the new team that's on board now. And let's talk about DOD here for a minute, because they have launched a number of cyber initiatives, I think many of them when you were still there, that have flowered into whole new branches, whole new offices. And DOD has now their supply chain initiative going on and the CMMC and so forth. What do you expect to see there? Well, there's a lot to unpack there, but let me just say that when it comes to the cyber maturity model 
you know, we want to make sure that all of our suppliers, the defense industrial base, are in fact following best practices in cybersecurity, protecting the intellectual property that results in better national security. So I'm very encouraged by the movement forward for a CMMC program, and I'm looking forward to seeing that succeed. Uh, We want it to be as streamlined as possible so that it is producing results that are effective, efficient, and secure. And my team at the CERT division has been part of that construct and continues to remain engaged in that uh, as we move forward. And and as you take a look at the supply chain risk management, we at the CERT and the Software Engineering Institute have been working with the Department of Defense, which is our prime sponsor, to try to find means encouraging secure coding standards, uh, to develop better requirements documents, to basically help the Department of Defense, as well as other government agencies, be a better customer, be able to assess risk better, and help us get in there with industry so that we can help industry provide better and more secure products and code. So I guess the last question then, if anything is possible, now that you're moving to Pittsburgh, can the pirates ever regain glory? I'm very encouraged by where I'm seeing the pirates this early in the season. Um, Last night they won again, and I, I think that takes them to one game over 500. So they're on a roll. Greg Tuhill is director of the CERT division at the Software Engineering Institute. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks. Um, thanks for having me on. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a BS from the University of South Carolina and an MPA from Harvard University. Rick, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me. And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style? You know, this past year has clearly uh, presented some unique challenges that uh, certainly me uh, or I as a leader uh, have had to adapt. Uh, You think about a pandemic, for example, that has placed us in probably one of the most challenging circumstances is sort of lead in a virtual world now. I've not been in my office uh, for nearly a year. And and the idea that we don't have the human interaction, uh, which I think is very important when you think about the empathy that is a a very important value of leadership. So trying to lead from a virtual uh, environment chain and be empathetic and be sensitive to the needs of others has presented terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America and certainly within me uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in, uh, in, in the way I lead, to be inclusive, 
to be uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions uh, on those on others uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year uh, to adapt, uh, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm still here and we're moving forward. Perfect. Throughout your career, what have been some pivotal moments or lessons learned that have shaped the leader that you are today? You know, there have been so many moments, Shane. I, you know, I grew up in rural South Carolina, uh, quite honestly, at a time when I, I mean, I saw what legal segregation was. I mean, I, I wasn't able to go to an integrated school until middle school, being bused across town. And I remember, as strangely as it may sound, uh, in 1979, I wanted to run for vice president of my student body at Lancaster High School, a little rural school. And I had to run on the ballot as vice president black, literally. And there was another candidate who ran as vice president white. And the irony of that story uh, is that the following year, I ran for president and I won overwhelmingly. That was a lesson for me in leadership. And, and the lesson there was, you know, perseverance, uh, have the tenacity, uh, have a vision and overcoming barriers. And, and I didn't let the idea uh, that the construct that I had to run as vice president uh, 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 deter me from reaching my bigger dream which was to represent students. So I know that's a, that, that perhaps may be a small example of leadership, but it really did define how I view myself, uh, the vision that I have, uh, my willingness to, to fight for change. And that was, that was the beginning. I think that set the foundation of how I lead. And there have been so many other moments. Uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the, 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 the massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, a very close friend of mine, Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life. And, and it conjured up, again, these issues of how deep the divide in terms of race in America is. And, but it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance uh, to help close that divide. So there have been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I, I will tell you, even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the U.S. Cha- Chamber of Commerce uh, to galvanize the business community, uh, inspired by that tragedy. And now we have a whole broad, historic sweeping, what we call equality of opportunity initiative that I'm leading, that I, that, that I was inspired to develop. And we're bringing together corporations from across America to address what we call equality of opportunity. So my point there, I think, with all of these moments, they've all been pivotal moments at different parts of my life, my career, my journey. And I've seized those moments to make the best uh, of, of them, of, of what I could. That's fantastic. It's a great, great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, who is the most impactful leader in your life? And what quality... Did you admire about them? You know, I, again, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who, uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most, and that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values, but the one, the one part of his leadership was vision. And I, I mean, the idea that you can have a dream which we often define and think of his big I have a dream speech. But I think that's a really important attribute of leadership, Shane, that 
you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself. So the, the idea that leaders have vision uh, despite the challenges is seeing a forest despite the trees. It's in an opportunity despite the barriers. And that, that attribute, I think, is one that, that I embody. I mean, I, I, I'm very optimistic uh, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I, I learned and that I've tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King. Wow, fantastic. And as someone who's got an extensive background of federal service, uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give to feds looking to develop leadership skills? And, and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. Um, what comes to mind there? Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the, the, the fortunate opportunity. We didn't have a secretary of commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course, I served as one of his senior advisors, was inaugurated. And the president asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort. Down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career, not just for the title and, and, the, and the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees. And, and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet or snow, uh, who bring innovations, but yet don't don't get the credit for it because the political appointees get all the credit. I think I learned something about the humility of of being a leader, uh, and 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 I, I I built so many friends who were federal employees, not just at the manager level, but the frontline workers, the administrative assistants. And I was very deliberate. I mean, one of the things that I was most proud of, strangely enough, I was that guy, even though I was senior advisor to the. Secretary of Commerce, and I, I, my office was on the floor, the top floor. We call it the blue carpet, Shane. But I made a deliberate point to go eat in the cafeteria every day, as many days as I could, just to sit down and talk with employees. And I grew from that. And, and, and there were so many times where I took their ideas back to the blue carpet and said, and I told the Secretary Locke, you got to go down and sit down and talk with regular, common, everyday folks. They're in the cafeteria, not in the dining room on the blue carpet. And so he started doing that. So the, the point is, I think for me, the advice that I would give is to continue to do the hard work. I do think that we should do a better job in government in providing the kind of admiration for those workers as we do the high level appointees. And, and that may be something that, uh, that I'm looking to work on myself uh, to help continue to advocate for our federal employees. Uh, they, they, those are the hard workers. That's where the work is done. And, uh, and, and, and so I think that's a lesson for me, if there was some advice and counsel I could give, is to continue to do your work. But, but we have to do our work as leaders of these agencies to create ladders uh, of success and, and, and reward and admiration for the hard work that they do. Rick, thank you very much. You've inspired me. These are tremendous insights and stories. Uh, I love every single one of them. You've got a fascinating journey in leadership yourself. And thank you very much for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. 
Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.